Good morning. Hope there are no musicians watching right now. <laughs> um, as probably all of us are aware, when last week uh, Alberta declared that we were entering into another uh, provincial emergency health order with the rise of COVID cases that have been uh, rising exponentially in our province and with a lot of the stresses on our healthcare system. And so uh, last week, there was a mandatory mask requirement across the province, but we were exempted last week, and I was thinking to myself, oh, I hope this lasts, I hope this lasts, but I don't think it will. <laughs> and so that kind of came down this last week, and so we are actually going to be complying. Uh, so there's a new requirement for worship services we can meet, and that's a huge blessing. Uh, we have to practice a bit of safe distancing, and we're going to do that. But we're going to ask that, uh, that you would all help us out by complying, but by wearing masks when you come. And if you don't have a mask, we have masks that are accessible all over the, uh, the building as you come in. And you may have known the speakers or seen the, the, our singers and worship team uh, uh, up here without masks on. And uh, we praise the Lord that <clears throat> we actually were given an exemption for for performers, worship leaders to be able to sing and to lead without their masks on. So I know I, faces do mean a lot to us, don't they? And, and this last, last couple of years has been tough years. Uh, it's been tough for all of us and tough leading as well. Um, when you're coming in to get seated, to, you know, please just kind of be respectful of others and, and use some responsible spacing. And what I mean by that is you might not feel a threat or a risk uh, but the person across the space from you might. So we just kind of have this rule of thumb. We're not going to put the green and blue tape all across the, the auditorium. But if you leave two, pew, uh, two cushions between yourself and the next family, then that's a distance that we'd, we'd like to, to practice. We're going to be temporarily causing, uh, causing, pausing our, our coffee ministry on Sunday mornings. But if you want to bring a coffee with you, you can bring a coffee with you. You can enjoy it. Uh, during the worship service. And above everything else, I would like to ask that we would keep our health care workers in our prayers. Uh, they are overworked, they are tired, they're exhausted, and, and often overwhelmed. And we have a number of nurses, we have a number of doctors in our, in our church family. And we've talked to some of them, and it is a tough time for them. So, you know what, please, please let's keep them in our prayers. <clears throat> You know what, this is going to be a time of endurance, and actually that's going to be a big part of what I'm going to be talking about this morning. And no, I wasn't planning it based around COVID, um, but I think that's kind of part of where the Lord's leading us this morning. So on April the 10th, 1981, I was gathered together with about 150,000 other people in southern uh, Florida, in about 10 miles south of Cape Kennedy, Cape Canaveral, and, and we were all gathered, it was a Friday, and we were there ready for the very first launch of the space, uh, the space shuttle Columbia, and the countdown was coming down, and it was just about time for the launch, and with just like about two minutes to go, the launch was scrubbed, <laughs> there was no launch. And so we went home, and then Sunday morning on the 12th, 
Uh, I was in bed. I was living with two other guys in a mobile home trailer in the city of Merritt Island. And it was just a couple minutes after 7 o'clock, and suddenly the trailer started rattling and shaking violently. And I thought, is this an earthquake or what is it? And I, I ran to the door, opened the door just to be able to look up in the air and to see the space shuttle had just taken a turn, its kind of correction, course correction, as it headed into space, and its thrust was coming directly at our city. I missed it. <laughs> you know, a historic event in, in space history. I only lived 10 miles away from it, and I missed it. Well, I, I did see a little bit of it, but I missed the good part. Two years later, I was able to be a part of about 2,000 people in the mission organization that I was working with, and we were all able to be there for the STS-4, that was the, the fourth flight of the shuttle, and I got to watch it in, in full. But, you know, just, a, just being a little bit lazy, and I missed something huge. But I wonder, you know, for ourselves, we probably have stories of something big or even little things that we have missed. And, and uh, they may have been things of great, great significance, or they may have been minor things, you know. You may have missed the birth of a child because you had to be at work. You would have been a father, probably. Uh, but, uh, or grandparents, and especially this last two years, there have been many family events that people have missed because we have been separated from each other. And those are really significant losses, might have been a graduation. I remember when our son graduated from university and he wasn't really all that keen on attending the university graduation. But his mom and I, <laughs> we were not going to let that pass. And so he, uh, he went to graduation. He actually wore a gown, got the photographs, and we were happy. And we were not going to miss that event in his life. You know, but some of you may have missed graduations in high school, university, over the last, you know, some of those big, really big events in our lifetimes. Could have been a forgotten birthday that you miss, or your wife's anniversary, your husband's anniversary. You know what, some things aren't all that important if we miss them. But there are some where the consequences are great. In fact, some are of absolute eternal significance and importance. Last week, Mel Sigelko was speaking and he said, this, he said, we are created by God to become reconciled to God and to become ambassadors for God. And he talked about three different groups of people. Group number one is people who are not yet connected to God. And group number two is people who are being connected to God. And that is, have made a decision to accept salvation but are kind of in a transition point of growing in their faith. And then the third group of people is people who are part of the ministry of reconciliation, of helping people to come to know God. And he said group three is much too small. He said group two is actually a group that should be a transition time moving from group one to group three. But he said that Oftentimes, we, we become resistant. We become hesitant to actually handing over the keys to our whole life and giving them over to Christ and saying, okay, you lead and I'll follow. And you know, not unlike today, the cities of Ephesus and Corinth, 
they, they were cities that were experiencing a clash of cultures. And I've been experiencing, I've been observing that myself over the last couple of decades, but especially in this last decade, there has just been a real, real turning over of values, of things that are important, uh, of, of beliefs, belief systems. And, you know, both of these cities like our society today, they served a multitude of different gods. And so in those cities, Jesus Christ was actually one God amongst many deities, gods and goddesses. And the Corinthian church that we've been talking about through this series, they were caught in this clash of cultures and they were in this process of moving from worshiping many gods to making Jesus Christ the only one that they followed. And, G and this text that we're going to be talking about today, it's chapter 6, verses 1 to 13. If you want to turn there, you can follow along with me. And Paul begins by saying this. He says, As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's gift of grace in vain. You know what? When God offers us his grace, he said, don't let it pass without responding. John wrote this. He said, How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. He was just overwhelmed by what God had done in his life and the grace he had, he had poured out. And Paul said in another place, he said, it's by grace that we've been saved, not by works, so that no one can boast. Folks, salvation is grace plus nothing. We brought nothing to salvation. Jesus gave everything. In the movie, The Passion of the Christ, we, we show a clip of that movie in our set free course that we hold here uh, at least once a year. And, and it's about a five-minute clip, and the very end of the clip is a, it's a portion of the scene where Jesus has already been beaten and whipped and brutalized. And he's, he's gasping for breath as they're getting the cross ready for his crucifixion. And I know this is just theater on the movie, but the scene is one where he in excruciating pain, rolls himself over and he crawled onto the cross and spread out his arms. And as I watched it the last time I watched it, it was just, for some reason, it was just gut-wrenching for me. And it just hit home just how much he sacrificed when he allowed himself to be put on that cross. Paul goes on and he quotes a verse from Isaiah 49, verse 8, and he says, about God, he says, for he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now, in its original context, this verse was news that was given to the nation of Israel of their impending freedom from exile in Babylon, where they had spent 70 years as a result of walking away from God. And he was making this promise, now is the time. And in the Greek language, there are two primary words that are used to talk about time. The first one is chronos, 
And that is the, the ticking of a clock, the hours, the hours of the day. That is time being measured as it passes. But the other word, and that's the one that's used here, is kairos. And the word kairos has to do with special time, with special moments in time. It is the forks in the middle of the road that make all the difference kind of time. It's the moments that have the potential to determine destinies. And Paul uses kairos here, signaling that he is speaking of a specific moment in time. And when Paul uses the phrase acceptable time here, he's telling these Christians, he's telling us about a special moment in history, and that was Jesus Christ's death and his resurrection. When God listened, when God listened to them and when God listened to us and helped us. And he says, we dare not spurn such an important godly gift. He says, behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Paul's big word here is now or today. Today is the moment. Yesterday is in the history books, and we have no guarantee that tomorrow is going to come. Most of us, I think all of us, are going to plan for it, but we, we don't know it's coming. We have today. And today is the moment that could determine or change our eternal destiny. Today is the day to respond to the gift of, of invitation to take the first step. If you've never taken a first step to actually receive the gift of salvation from Jesus, today could be the day. Or today could be the day that you choose, that we choose to take our faith seriously and not to take God's grace for granted. Today we're going to talk about endurance because it, it really builds into that, that choice that we make, the choice to follow, the choice to commit, the choice to turn over the keys to our lives. And Paul had one passion. His passion was to make Christ known and to build Christ's church. And he goes through an interesting listing of hardships he's endured and then virtues that he demonstrates. And, and it's kind of like a resume or a CV that we might hand out, although I wouldn't put some of these things onto my resume. I'm just calling it Paul's strategy of winning through endurance. And he starts off by saying, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance. In 2016, I was invited to run the last leg of the death race that's held every year down in uh, Grand Cache. And, and my leg, the last leg, started at about 11.30 at night and, and went till about 1 o'clock in the morning. And so I ran the entire leg in the dark and in the rain. And as, as I left the, the starting post, the first couple of kilometers were all straight up the side of a mountain to get to the top of the peak. <clears throat> of course, I took off running and I started running up the hill and I didn't get about a third of the way out and I was done. I could not breathe. I was winded. 
I was almost passing out. I leaned over, and as I was doing that, I was thinking to myself, you idiot, what did you think you were doing? You thought you could do this. You could run a race. And it was at that point that I decided, if I'm going to survive, I'm going to have to change my strategy. And so I figured out, I can walk up the mountains, and I can run down the other side. Turns out, there's a lot of other runners that do the same thing. I just didn't know because I hadn't practiced in the mountains. So I changed my strategy. You know what? And, and th there's this principle of endurance. And this principle of endurance says that we tend to overestimate our short-term abilities. As I took off running, I thought, because I had been running for quite a few months, I thought I had what it took to run all the way up the mountain. I was wrong. <laughs> we tend to overestimate our short-term cap capabilities, and we tend to underestimate our long-term capabilities. So we think we can do a lot in a short time, but we actually really underestimate how much we could accomplish if we kept at it for a long time. And there's, a, there's basically a, a principle of power of influence, and that is that the consistent routine of daily habits practiced over time will yield significant amounts. You get that? The consistent routine of daily habits practiced over time will yield significant results. Now, some of you today could probably go out and run a half marathon or even a full marathon and hardly be winded. Some of us could go out and we could survive doing it, but it would not be a good idea because we would pay dearly for it because we're not prepared. But for many of us here today, because I know of runners who are running marathons in their 90s, with some practice done regularly over time, could probably do it. That's what endurance gives. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, the author says, Since therefore we have been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. We're going to look at four different marks of endurance as we go through the following verses the marks of endurance that I'm going to just kind of outline for you here. The first one is that endurance focuses, sorry, our endurance is focused through hardship. Endurance is displayed through our character. And it is strengthened by spiritual armor. And finally, it is lived between two worlds. And that's an interesting one when we get there. So the first one is, it is focused through our hardships. So Paul is writing here and he says, in troubles and hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger. Folks, we are all going to face opposition at times. Sometimes the opposition is direct and dangerous. In 2019, Adeline and I had the opportunity of being on a trip, a missions trip that went to Mexico City and Cuba. And while we were in Mexico City, we visited a young pastor couple in a very sketchy part of the city of Mexico City. Their names were Pastor Claudia and Pastor Jonathan and Claudia. And God had called them to this kind of stretch, this block in the city. 
and it was dangerous. In fact, as we went out, we were going to pray for somebody that he knew who was actually in hiding because of their faith. And, and he was very, very concerned about our safety. He kept saying, stay together. Nobody walk away. Stay together. Almost every other day, they were receiving threats from the drug, drug uh, gang that, that basically controlled that area and their landlords as well saying, we're going to burn you out. And they met in a little parking garage underneath a building. They, fest, they face threats daily, every day. We have workers in our global advance. We have workers from our church who work in very sensitive countries where it is very dangerous to actually proclaim Jesus Christ. And, and so some of our workers, when we interview them, we actually, we don't put it up on our live stream. We, we actually don't even show the faces of some of our workers and we don't speak their names. Because where they're going is very dangerous. In fact, there is an organization called Open Doors USA. They track the top 20 most dangerous places, sorry, top 10 most dangerous places, countries, for Christians to live in the world. For 20 years, the number one place has been North Korea. North Korea is completely secular. Uh, it is completely anti-God because the only one to be worshipped is, is the leader of the country. And it has been a very dangerous place. Christians are being killed every year. Number two on the list has been Afghanistan. And now these statistics were from January of 2020. And so with what's happened in Afghanistan, it may have actually eclipsed North Korea. But they say in Afghanistan where it's Christianity is a death warrant. And the third on the list is Somalia. And in Somalia, kind of the tagline they said is, it's where Christians are high, high target value. So they are, they're, they're basically targets and they have high value. And so they are regularly, uh, they're regularly kidnapped, regularly beaten, and regularly actually sold off for profit. But you know what? We may not face that kind of overt uh, opposition, but we do face opposition most of us will see it in the, in the form of indifference. Leslie Newbigin has written this. He said, what we have today is a pagan society whose public life is ruled by beliefs which are false. And because it's not a pre-Christian paganism, but a paganism born out of the rejection of Christianity, it is far tougher and more resistant to the gospel. You may have, you may have come across that when you're talking with people about your faith, that there is a very profound resistance because many people have checked out Christianity and they've written it off. And they'll oppose us. But you know, one of my other observations is that North America is going, we are in the middle of a massive polarization. It is a political polarization, it is a social polarization, and it's a spiritual polarization. And you know what? Churches that continue to follow the teaching of Christ and the authority of Scripture are beginning to come under fire politically and socially. And I believe even in my lifetime, we are going to get to the place where we are going to experience isolation and direct opposition for our faith. And so, resilience is important. And then there are, secondly, there are sacrifices, voluntary sacrifices that we make. You know, Paul chose to support himself in his ministry. He had sleepless nights. He possibly stayed up all night many times praying for his 
young churches, praying for believers. He worked on the side so that he wouldn't be a burden to the churches. And he said in another place, he said, you know, I worked tirelessly day and night so that the churches would thrive. When we were in Cuba, we met Pastor Rafaelito. And when he began as a pastor in the little town of Camagay, and in the little area that he was in, he had this little flimsy structure of a church. And across from him was a, a house. And that house was used for the worship of, it's called Santorina. And if you want to look it up, it is a very dark, occultic, demonic practice. And he shared with us that, that one day God said, I want you to begin praying for spiritual breakthrough in the Santeria. And he said, I want you to pray for seven days. So he prayed and he fasted for seven, seven days without eating. And then the Lord said, keep on praying. And he said, so I kept on praying. He said, I prayed for three months. He said, in those three months, I had about two hours of sleep. You know, when Jesus was being tempted by the enemy and he tempted Jesus to make bread out of stones and, and Jesus said, there is other food that I live by. And, and I just saw this and heard this in Pastor Raffalito as he said, you know what? I wasn't sleepy. I wasn't hungry. God sustained me. And he said that at the end of three months, God broke through. A fire broke out in the house across the way. It was burned down and it destroyed. After that, the people worshiping, they kind of scattered. People started coming to faith in Christ. And his church grew. It is now a church of over 300 people. And as he began to grow, he started mentoring other leaders. And then they planted churches. Five of them planted churches. And those five pastors then began mentoring others. And so... In 2019, when we visited, there were 19 churches in the area. Most of them with an average of about 80 people in each church. And for, for Cuba, that is incredible. And so, you know, Pastor Raffalito was willing to sacrifice his time to spend it with God. Rob Bremer writes in his book, Spiritual Authority, he says that the spiritual authority Christ wants to give to each of us is expanded through intimacy. And he says there is no shortcut to intimacy with God. You've got to choose to put in the time just spending time in his presence and not asking him for anything. You know what? Our ministries here in GPAC, they depend completely upon hundreds and hundreds of you sacrificing and giving up your time, sacrificing your time to pray for, to volunteer, to help out. And, and we could not do that without the sacrifice that you would voluntarily give. In fact, last week when we had our ministry fair and the ice cream cones and, and it, was a, it was a really great time, but afterward at the staff meeting, two of my leaders, uh, our, our kids ministry director and also our FID director shared with me, Rod, we've got so many volunteers. Jennifer said, I'm full. I, I have all the leaders for, for kids for the whole year. And and Annette said, Rod, I've got too many volunteers. She, and I know what's going to happen now. <laughs> She's going to grow. <laughs> She'll expand to use all the volunteers that are available. And that is what we do. We, we voluntarily sacrifice. And I just want to say thank you for every one of you that is doing that, is stepping up to sacrifice your time. And then secondly, Paul says that endurance is displayed through our character. You know what? Our character is what people see. 
It's how we react to circumstances. It's how we react to other people. And Paul goes on and he says, in his own life, he says, in purity and understanding and patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful fruit, uh, speech. He's talking about fruit. That's how people see and interact with us. It's through the fruit. And this list is somewhat of a parallel of Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, where Paul writes, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against these things, there is no law. Now, here's the endurance part. He says, those who belong to Christ have, sac- have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and dis- desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Folks, keeping in step with the Spirit requires commitment. It requires endurance. You know what? We all tend to, and I do the same thing, we tend to react to people out of our natural instinct. But if we're going to respond to them out of a Holy Spirit-driven position, then we're going to need to practice. And we're going to need to grow in the fruit. And growing fruit takes time and commitment and practice. Lots of practice. But you know what? The more room that we give in our lives to the Holy Spirit to first show us the things that we need to change and then to give us the power and the capacity to keep on following them. The more we give over to him, the more we will grow. And the goal is to grow in all nine of the fruits. I want you to remember, fruit takes time. At times you may get discouraged. Remember, we can make decisions in a moment But change takes time. Remember what I said earlier. Even small steps practiced regularly over time will yield significant results. Fruit will grow. And thirdly, Paul talks about that we are strengthened through armor. Spiritual armor. He writes, he says, with the weapons of righteousness on the right hand, And on the left, in honor and dishonor, in ill repute and good repute. It's kind of like he's he's describing a warrior with a a sword in one hand and holding a shield of defense in the other hand and entering into battle, and that is exactly what we face. We are in a spiritual battle. We are in a spiritual war with very real spiritual enemies. But like Paul, we have power. And we have the authority of Christ on our side. Again, reading from Reamer's book, he said that when Jesus spoke about the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, he was not just talking about somebody praying a prayer. He said wherever Jesus went, he cast out demons, he healed the sick, he saved the lost, and he set captives free. He said that is kingdom normal. And he goes on, he says, in a pluralistic and a synchronistic society, that's us today, where all deities are considered equal, the only, only, the unequal display of Jesus' power will convince people of the supremacy of Christ. 
The pathway to the release of power of God is the authority that Christ has given and offers to us. And Jesus expects us to learn and to use his authority, but we need to develop it. We need to walk in it, and then we need to use it to overcome evil. It takes endurance. And then lastly, he talks about that endurance is, is living life between two worlds. You know, there are a couple of paradoxes that I'm going to read here. And, and you know, Paul had this sense, it was not a sense of indifference to his, his current realities and circumstances and his hardships and the opposition, but he had this way of separating his, his true self that was rooted in Christ from the circumstances that he faced. I'm going to read these verses from the Revised Standard Version because they follow kind of the structure in how the original Greek sentences were written. So some other translations say something similar, but it's quite more clear this way out of the RSV. And so there's a present reality, and then there's this future glory. He says, we're treated as impostors. That's the, that's the present reality. But the future glory is, yet we're true. He says, I'm treated as unknown, yet we are known. As dying, and behold, we live. As punished, and yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet we are always rejoicing. As poor, and yet making others rich. As having nothing, and yet possessing everything. You hear those two different worlds? In Ephesians, he said, and God has raised us up with Christ and he has seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We are actually citizens of heaven. We're aliens on this planet, but yet we live here. And so there is this already but not yet. In the Alpha course, Nicky Gumbel used to teach the sessions and he talked about the fact that we are living in this time of the church in the already but not yet. It's the time between Jesus' victory over sin and death and his final return when he comes and he completely vanquishes sin, death, and the enemy. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is here as we, as we learn to abide in Christ and then we experience his very real presence in us. The kingdom is here as we, ex as we experience his forgiveness and the joy of helping other people come to faith in Christ. The kingdom is here as we are experiencing deep inner healing of soul wounds that have kept us from experiencing freedom. And the kingdom is here as we help others find freedom as Jesus breaks the power of the enemy and he heals souls. In this already but not yet life, we get to see glimpses of what life should be like and what heaven will be like. And yet it still comes with pain. And it comes with losses. It comes with waiting and, and prayer, with opposition, disappointment. It comes with endurance. And so then Paul kind of changes his direction. And he, he ends with this warm, loving invitation. He says, open wide your hearts. The verses read, we've spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and open wide our hearts to you. 
we're not withholding our affection from you, but you're withholding your affection from us. As a fair exchange, I speak to you as my children. Open wide your hearts also. And I wanted this morning, I want to echo Paul's appeal. You know, there may be some here this morning who you've been maybe here for a while or you might be this first, first time you've been with us. You don't have a relationship with Christ. You don't know him yet. And I would just like to encourage you to just open wide your heart. After the service, we will have people down in the front here willing to pray. And if, if that's a decision you want to make, we have people who will, will be able to walk that through with you. Or we may have some of us who are here, we've been somewhat resistant, holding back, not totally willing to hand over the keys of our old way of life because we enjoy parts of it too much. So the invitation is open your heart. Give it all. Step fully into following Jesus. Take a step forward. Lean into the Spirit's lead. You know, two years ago, we introduced, we kind of took a deep dive into a, into a journey of renewal. We call it changing hearts and changing lives. And uh, it really, is, it's a pathway to spiritual renewal. Actually, it's a pathway of discipleship. When Jesus said to his disciples before he was resurrected, before he was ascending, in the end of Matthew, he said, as you're going, make disciples. And so that is what changing hearts, changing lives is. And so we introduced a course, a seminar called Hearing God. The really, it's a resource to help you to learn how to really hear God speaking through his word or even speaking through his spirit and speaking through himself. We also have a couple of other courses, Set Free and Sold Care. And those are some courses, the resources that will help you to break free from from sin patterns or soul wounds or spiritual bondage in your life that might be sabotaging your relationship with the Lord. And a new course that we are hoping that we're going to be able to offer this morning is called Empower Ministers, and that is a course on exploring your spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to each one of us. He has given us gifts, and I, I firmly believe that Jesus has given enough gifts to Grand Prairie Alliance Church to accomplish every one of his purposes that he has in mind for us as a church. And so, through Empower Ministers, we'll explore that together. You know what? We are seeing people experience more of the presence of Jesus and more of the power of Jesus, we are beginning to experience more of what Rob Reamer calls kingdom normal. It is the incoming of the kingdom of heaven, destroying the work of the enemy and his power that he holds over people. Our prayer ministry is increasing and engaging in new authority in Jesus. At our last soul care seminar, our church coach, Doug Balser, who's also been our instructor in the soul care course. He had, all, he had come up in 2019 and then came again in 2021. And he said, Rod, this is a different church than it was two years ago. He says, I can feel the difference in the presence of the Spirit. I can feel that you're leaning a lot more. Some of the resistance is starting to fall off and fall away. And he smiled at me. He said, Rod, 
But there's more. There's always more. We're leaned into the power. We're leaning in to the Holy Spirit. And many of you are already part of that. You're already doing that. But I want to just, for a moment, just imagine with me. What if every one of us here, everyone that calls GPAC their home, if everyone made that choice to lean fully in, to say, I'm given everything. For whatever it is, Jesus, I'm in. So you know what? Today, maybe today, maybe today is the day that you make your first decision to accept Jesus' gift of salvation. That would be incredible. And it'll change your life. It will be a destiny-changing, eternal decision. Or maybe today is the day that you say, I'm going to hand over the keys to my old way of life. I'm going to start to discover and to fully follow Jesus by his plans. I just want to remind you and encourage you, it's not a sprint. It's an endurance race. There will be hardships, but they will keep us focused. It'll take commitment, but people will be impacted by the Spirit's fruit and changes in our lives. There are going to be battles, but we have armor and authority. And we will experience the kingdom breaking in and destroying the work of the enemy. So what if? What if we open wide our hearts? Don't go another day without missing out. Today is the day. Today is the day. And I close today our service, as we always do, that we have an invitation. Uh, we call this our prayer altar. It's a pretty big one. <laughs> There's lots of room. If the Spirit has been speaking to you today, Maybe there's a choice that you've decided you want to make or maybe you've already made it. I just want to encourage you, you know, come on down for prayer. Maybe if you've never made a decision to accept Christ as your Savior, come on down. And like I said, there are, we've got some coaches that can walk you through that and pray together with you on that. And if you want to come down just to have a time of prayer, just to worship God, feel free to do that. You can do it in your, in your seats where you're at as well. But don't, don't let another day go by without making that choice. Today is the day. And I just want to close with the verses that we've been using since we've been going through this letter. In 2 Corinthians 13, 14, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the, fellowship, and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Have a good week.